We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. We'll get to some of your feedback later on since it is a Friday night and all. Also later on, the Day's Group Roundtable is coming up. Kim is off this week. Shannon Joy, talk show host from New York, will fill in for her. So we'll take a look back at the week that was uh, next hour. Mike Woody will take us to the movies. This this week's sign, The Apocalypse is Upon Us, coming up later in hour number one. But uh, a story that was breaking as we were concluding last night's show and so I didn't really have time to get into it to react. Uh, I have had some some time today to take a look at. And I want us to lead off the show tonight talking about it. So headlines were screaming last night in the middle of our program. Uh, a couple of them I even retweeted. Uh, about Donald Trump turning his back on Israel. With a statement that was made uh, by the White House yesterday. Here is the statement. The, de- the American desire for peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians has remained unchanged for 50 years. 
While we don't believe the existence of settlements is an impediment to peace, the construction of new settlements or the expansion of existing settlements beyond their current borders may not be helpful in achieving that goal. As the president has expressed many times, he hopes to achieve peace throughout the Middle East region. The Trump administration has not taken an official position on settlement activity and looks forward to continuing discussions, including with Prime Minister Netanyahu when he visits with President Trump later this month. The Jerusalem Post screamed with a headline, uh, which which said, hey, uh, Trump warns Israel, stop announcing new settlements. New York Times had this headline, Trump embraces pillars of Obama's foreign policy. Before I say anything further, I want to know what you two's reaction to this statement is. Todd, I'll start with you. My reaction was going to be along the lines of the context you were providing with the headlines, uh, even before you offered them. This all depends on the hearer. I mean, anything about this topic that you muse out loud will instantly be latched on. And Donald Trump in particular, we know Donald Trump just says things, even and everything that he was diehard during the campaign, there was nothing that he didn't walk back, massage, for whatever reasons he had at any given moment. We've learned that Donald Trump just says things, and with this topic in particular, anything you say, no matter what, will be yanked around. So I, I honestly, this this whole thing is the standard nothing burger that comes in. We talk and we talk and we talk and we talk. Yeah, I, I think never Trumpers especially are going to have a, a tough time over the next four to eight years because we didn't vote for Trump for a number of reasons. I think the most common reason is that we just didn't trust him to follow through with all the things that he's done. So when we see headlines like, like this or we see tweets like this, it's kind of like confirmation bias. Oh, yeah, there's the other, there's the other shoe. There's the other foot. The, you know, it's, it's finally dropped. And so when I see headlines like this and hear a statement like this, I, that's kind of – I have to fight that initial inclination. But then I tell myself, well, that doesn't jive with what he said about Israel and that doesn't jive with – the move to the, moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Um, so something they haven't formally they announced. Haven't fo- formally announced. There is rumors about that. So it's just it's a little bit of wait and see when I see stuff like this. I'm in a wait and see mode as well. In fact, I don't even. I'm at the point now that I I just don't even pay attention to what the mainstream media is even saying. And and I hate doing that because I've been long an advocate of not doing so. But but I, I just, I can't react because it's so over the top. I mean, they spent today, I mean, this went on for hours. I saw TVs when I was at the Y. For hours, cable news losing it on Kellyanne Conway, where she actually addressed a situation that factually was accurate, but she put it in the wrong context. And they just spent hours today of programming just hammering her for this. And... All they did in the meantime is just hammer their own credibility in the process. And so I'm, just, I'm, I'm at the point now where, you know, we talked about this the other night on the show. I just, I just don't even react. I don't even pay attention to it. Because otherwise you'll find yourself reacting all the time. The, what I, the, when I did react to this is when I saw people on our own side criticizing this statement. That's when I reacted to it. 
Now, in fairness to this statement, and the statement officially comes from Sean Spicer, White House spokesperson, it is worded terribly. I mean, this is terrible wording. You, you could, this statement, well, it's either terrible wording or it's, it, it's, it's an intentional ink blot. Wait, Donald Trump and Spicer worded something terribly? Yeah, this well, is my point. I know it's your point. And, and, but, but this is where, this is, I think we're conditioned now, even people that are Trump skeptics, to not, it's the, it's the Selena Zito line, the columnist from the New York Post, to take Trump seriously, not literally, okay? So you, know, you, don't, you don't hear all the, we're not overreacting as much as we, I mean, the, the liberal media is, but most people aren't overreacting to every tweet and the and, and idiosyncrasy of, of what he specifically says anymore. What's different is this comes from, from the official White House seal. This is not off the cuff. This isn't, oh no, Kellyanne didn't take Trump's phone away again last night. I mean, this is something that went through several hands to get put out as an official statement of the White House. This isn't just Trump being Trump. You know what I'm trying to say? And so that's what I find problematic about it, is you could read this on first blush and draw the conclusions. I think it's absolutely reasonable to draw those conclusions on first blush. And and the reason why you would draw those is because we've been we have been going back to to well, the first president Bush was the inventor under J, with James Baker of the so-called two-state solution. That's a quarter century now. That's Aaron's entire life. So that's the entire time you and I've been eligible to vote, Todd. We have lived under a premise of Israel, Israeli settlements and expansion into their own territory, which they only took back because they were invaded in the Six-Day War of 1967. That's why they own it in the first place. That's why Spicer notes 50 years. It was 1967. It was 50 years ago. The, that's the, the premise that we've all operated from, no matter who's been in power in the quarter century since Baker in the first Bush gave us the two-state solution, is this premise and and you know that Amer- that America's America's alliance with Israel is determined by its stance on Israeli settlements in the West Bank. That's how we've been conditioned. That's all. That's the only world Aaron's ever known. You have to know this before you put a statement out like this. You have to know it because if you look at this statement in in light in light of the world we've all lived in for the last quarter century i absolutely can see why people immediately jump to this conclusion and i'm not just talking the left i'm talking on our own side now there is a fascinating breakdown of this statement that i posted earlier today on our facebook facebook wall because not only is it really well done but it's the source it comes from red state one of our sister media outlets here on the salem network they are absolutely not a pro-Trump site. They're not a pro-Trump conservative site at all. Okay, And they broke this thing down. And they have a contrarian view of this. That is 180 degrees different from the concern people on our side had. They actually take this to be a very pro-Israeli statement. They actually take this to be um, a statement that people are interpreting 180 degrees differently. The way they see the statement is, what led to America not vetoing at the UN Security Council last month the anti-Israel resolution? Further construction on the West Bank. That was the Obama, the Obama regime's excuse, right? They see this at a minimum of saying, we, we, we disavow that. 
because we're not taking an official position one way or the other. At a minimum, they see it as going back to the original position the country's had since George W. Bush. The settlements that are there are fine. That's Israeli territory. But more settlements essentially create more um, uh, more problems on the ground there in the Middle East, and it's not it's it's not worth the grief to profit ratio. They think that's the baseline conclusion from this statement. But they actually look at it from a, from a viewpoint of they think that it actually could be construed to give Israel almost, and not that they need our permission. That's something I want to talk about when we come back too. But but gives Israel almost unlimited permission from the U.S. to do with the West Bank whatever it wants. All these interpretations, that's the problem. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to know where to find them. The Steve Day Show. Beyond even the theological implications of this, and I, I know a lot of peop, non-Christians believe every Christian has the same view of Israel. That is the most known view in the media, and that's not true, actually. That's not. Which is one of the reasons why I have a tendency to stay away from defending Israel from a theological standpoint, because there's actually a lot more diversity on this topic than people think. Uh, it's just that there's one strain of evangelical Christianity that is is is, primi- is is politically motivated on this issue more than others, and so there's this tendency from non-Christians to think that's what all of Christianity thinks. That's not true. Um, but to me... So uh, for, for how I've always operated on this show, in light of that, is my primary motivation with Israel is just straight up geopolitical strategy. They're the only country in that part of the world that even comes close to resembling our own value system. Makes no sense whatsoever why we would not do whatever we can uh, to help uh, sustain and to further them along those lines. Let's just look at this from that perspective for a moment. And understand that a lot of the kind of Christian leaders that are around Trump are people that have the most known view of Israel, that, that do have a primarily theological uh, motivation for wanting to defend Israel. That is exactly why you can't put this statement out, guys. This is not the AP has a translation of Trump yelling at the Australian prime minister and CNN the next an hour later says that's not true and both sides deny it or that we're going to send troops to Mexico. This is an official statement from the White House. And you have to understand whether whether you are a never Trumper, an always Trumper, or a sometimes Trumper, or he's my president now, or he's a not my president now, regardless of where you're at on this, most of the world doesn't have your bias. Most of the world is learning about him right now. And he has to be aware of that. His administration needs to be aware of that. This is a very ambiguous statement. I could take it to mean lots of different things. And considering this is the most volatile region of the world, considering it is, depending on your theology... 
or your view of the geopolitical scene, the most important strategic alliance in the world we have. You've got to be a lot more careful and measured about what you do and do not say. In fact, I don't know why this statement was needed at all. What was the point of it? I don't know why it was needed. And if it's going to be an official White House statement, Todd, it's going to pass through several people's hands. Someone's got to be, someone in that chain of command has to say, what does this mean? And not, what do you think it means? You got to ask yourself, what are the the Palestinians going to think this means? What are the Saudis going to think this means? What's the media going to think this means? What are the Israelis going to think this means? What's the liberal Israeli media going to think this means? What's the Zionist Israeli media going to think it means? What's Netanyahu going to think it means? What's Netanyahu's political opponents? What do they think it means? Because I can make this mean a lot of different things, Todd. That's the problem. This is yet another lesson in our learning curve, collective learning curve, and putting on the mind of Trump. Let me provide this possible answer. I'm, I'm... And I'm not sure I believe it myself, but why does he put out the name of William Pryor if he knows he's going to go with, uh, he knows how problematic he could be? Why does he throw out the notion of tariffs when they know they drive his conservative base nuts? Isn't this all possibly art of the deal? He gets a discussion going. He takes it as far as is possible outside of the conservative lane, and he can always come back and be a rock star conservative, and he's safe. Those situations are different than this one, and here's why. It's why, over the years, I've become increasingly less dogmatic on foreign policy. It's because when you're dealing with cultures that don't have the same presuppositions as you, you can't count on how you can't count on their various reactions being received the same way. I mean, he can do this where Bill Pryor is concerned because he knows, in a way, how we're all going to react. That's what he's trying to gauge. Okay, here you're dealing with translation issues, cultural issues. It's not the same. You're you're dealing with a part of the world that doesn't have, with the exception of Israel, and depending on who is the king of Jordan, just doesn't have the same. Assess the same presuppositions that you do. That's exactly why clarity is necessary. This is, again, what I was saying earlier this week. When you're putting out statements like this, leave absolutely nothing up to the imagination. With this particular instance, I'm not even sure if they know what they were trying to communicate. I, when, I, when you read it, I'm not. I'm wondering that myself. Because wouldn't you think that's a pretty good place to start? I, I, what, think about what you're trying to communicate. That's and what then I'd you like can, to know. Then, then you can uh, maybe think. You know, what does Netanyahu think? What does Syria think? What does what do uh, the terrorist Palestinians uh, think about this? What then you can go through all of that. But again, when you get off into these uh, ethereal and nebulous um, statements like the one that you uh, just referenced that they put out last night. You get into the weeds, and when the people get into the weeds, they can make whatever interpretations they want to, and when you know, thoughts again will lead to action. And so, you—I don't know who the heck is doing their messaging and communication over there, but this—this this is two weeks in a row, or two things in a row uh, on the on an international scale that they've kind of screwed. The this boot. was this statement was clearly not written by whoever wrote the speech copy for Trump on Tuesday night because yeah. that was outstanding. But but here's the other thing too that I found interesting, and this is why you got it, folks. Whether you love them, hate them or not, you got to remove the binary glasses, binary choice glasses. When I started tweet, retweeting some conservative criticism to this, I had s- several uh, Trump humpers tweeting me, well, day slob hates Trump anyway. 
you know, and 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 I so I, I like to look at people when they criticize me because one, I like to know if they have enough people that's worthy of me responding to. Uh, because a lot of times people just troll you so that you'll respond to them so they can piggyback off of your platform to get their message out. And then I like to look at who these people are. And I'm looking at one, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing one guy in particular who's got a few thousand Twitter followers and he calls himself a nationalist. I'm like, pardon me, sir, but as a nationalist, can you tell me why you think the United States has, should be having comment, should be commenting at all on what a sovereign nation chooses to, chooses to do or not to do with urban renewal? Why, based on your viewpoint, why is that our business at all? Why aren't you criticizing Trump for even making a statement about this? Should, in your viewpoint, shouldn't Trump's statement be, it, it's, just, it's just real land. They can do whatever the hell they want with it. So, so I think that's something we have to do. We, all sides. You have to get yourself out of binary mode. You have to look, you have to be willing to thank Trump when he does things that are right. You have to be willing to criticize him when he does things that are wrong. I know the behavior of the media is going to make that difficult. That's why I've, that's why I have severely limited my consumption of opposition media down to people I follow on Twitter because I'm human too. And I, and I instinctively just want to go back at these. I could have, especially because I know the woman and like her, I could have spent hours today on social media just hammering liberal media for what they were trying to do to Kellyanne Conway. But that'll get me in a world, man, I'll never get out of that. And I'll lose myself. All critical thinking is abandoned. She's a big girl. I'll let her defend herself, you know. But, but that's where we've got to get ourselves out of that world and see a broader world. This is not a good statement. And this is another uh, beginner mistake, rookie mistake. If, if you're making a public statement about maybe your most important strategic ally and every side can interpret it the way that they so choose, it's a poopy statement. You're listening to Steve Dace. If you're part of the problem, don't bother getting out of the way. Stay right there, and we'll run over you. This is Steve Dace. So after sitting here calling for clarity and an end to moral ambiguity, I am now going to totally contradict myself because this will be a segment when we will hail all forms of moral ambiguity when we will seek not clarity, but whatever the opposite of that is. And I'm not sure what the word is, so I won't try to make one up. It's just the opposite of clarity. Confusion. How's that? We will seek confusion here in the land of confusion, Genesis. It is this week's sign the apocalypse is upon us. Aaron. Thank you, Steve, for that arousing introduction, folks. I just I want to be real with you for a moment, if I may. I get that y'all dig the uh, hot takes of the various news cycles of the day that we give here on the show every night, but it's time, it is high time that we get our priorities in order. (laughs) Pass, man. I think it's high time. All right. See, I'm supposed to come on here and talk about something like, I don't know, how doctors in Britain have been encouraged to stop, I don't know, referring to moms as women because some moms are men. Maybe someday uh, there will be a story about something so outrageous like, I don't know, the Boy Scouts letting girls in because equality. I'm supposed to come on here and pique your righteous indignation with something like how last year a baby was a fetus, but now somehow when Beyonce is pregnant, they're back with twins, they're back to being called babies again. 
As you can tell, I can, I'm getting choked up here. Maybe something stupid about how the Westminster Dog Show now includes cats. All that, oh, that actually did happen. Uh, my bad. But no, folks. We haven't talked about the real issue this week. It's been there on our periphery. Marginalized. Are you ready? Hug a loved one. Say a prayer. Todd, make the sign of the cross. Are you ready? No. Bacon reserves have hit a 50-year low. Things just got real, man. No! Some of the headlines you read about there being a shortage, well, well, that was fake news, but but the reserves themselves are low. Blame me. <laughs> it's my fault. And the thought of not having bacon, that I think you'll all agree, is truly apocalyptic. I, uh... This is only hour one, guys. I mean, I know we're small government and all that, but I, I say right now, government mandated rationing kicks in. I mean, we need to nip this thing in the bud. What countries are known for producing a lot of bacon? Do you think we could get Trump to invade those? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pop him an email. It's fifty fifty. I like our odds. <laughs> oh. uh, this needs to be the next executive order. The next executive order. Um, bacon rationing for everyone except those who live in the 50266 area code. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, that's a zip code. My bad. Dietary exemptions. Yes, yes. I mean, this is this is the worst news ever. I mean, just the thought so the, the, of, so of not having enough bacon for the, to last you like ten years. So there is a, it is true that the reserves are low. Because the reserves are low. There were We're not having a shortage. Ne- yeah. The stories the next day said it was fake news put out by the Port Council to create a demand to buy bacon. Yeah, the the, the wording that the media used that was false is shortage. There's a difference between shortage and reserves running low. There's no shortage. Although there's always a shortage of pre-cooked bacon, if I may say. I, anytime I go to the store for pre-cooked if bacon... If you're not eating it in that moment, there's a shortage. Yeah, that's exactly right. I have to tell you that uh, over the years on this show, during this segment, both you and your predecessor have have, have highlighted a lot of, uh, a lot of disturbing news. Uh, a lot of news that um, uh, when I went home on a Friday night, really made it hard for me to transition to the weekend and no not that kind of transition uh the old kind of transition you know where i just want to get segue relax mm-hmm. but i mean you guys give us this segment is gives you those stories that just stick in your craw yeah you gotta have some download time drive around the block a few times for you hit into the garage right this is the saddest of them all if you're wondering what the bottom of the rabbit hole looks like this is it. We may retire this segment right now. Because if it gets more bleak than this, I don't want to live in this world anymore.
listening to Steve Dace. Beating liberals is important, but more important, who you beat them with. This is Steve Dace. All right, let's switch gears. Mike Woody is here to take us to the movies on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Michael, good to see you again. Good to see you. What are we reviewing this week? Well, Steve, we got a couple of interesting movies. One's called A Dog's Purpose, uh, which, I don't know, maybe you saw some of the scuttlebutt over that um, with the... Uh, PETA people were upset. Um, and then, No, I mean, yeah. there's certain things, I, I mean... Water's wet? Yes, I just tune out. <laughs> like, there's certain things for me that are an immediate hard pass, right? <laughs> like, when we first got married, and I took a lot of pride in my really cool, nearly 700 deep CD collection, and my wife attempted to add Poison, the band, although it's a metaphor in this case, attempted to add Poison's greatest hits to the collection hard pass really hard pass yes i have that hard hard pass hard pass uh yesterday lady gaga saying she's going to do a performance on inclusiveness for the for the super bowl's halftime and she by the way she did an outstanding rendition of the national anthem last year that should be recognized but when i hear that hard pass (laughs) hard pass okay when when i hear the name sarah silverman Hard pass. Going to take a hard pass on that. And when I hear PETA, hard pass. Just taking a hard pass. So no, this is the first time hearing about it. And I want to remain ignorant about it. So let's just talk about the movie. Well, let's... No, because let's talk about... Because if there's anything that... If there's anything that truly honors PETA, Mike, it's ignorance. So let's just talk about the movie. But, But here's the deal. These people... And I'm not talking about this specifically, but Birth of a Nation and now A Dog's Purpose, where people with a an axe to grind come out with these controversial things right before the film is open. The, in this case, there was a, a video shot, and you really can't tell. You take it out of context. There's a dog that that's getting in and out of the water off of a ship, it looks like. And it looks like the dog doesn't want to go in there. Now, I don't know if the dog's just not sure of his feet, but... So there's this huge controversy, which pretty much, I mean, it did nice box office over the weekend, but it got maybe half of what it would have got. All right. Well, is the movie any good? Um, you know what? It's interesting. It's, again, it's called A Dog's Purpose, and A Dog's Purpose is to enrich our lives, according to this film. The dog uh, and this young boy become fast friends, and then the boy, there's things that happen, which is... We'll get to it in a second. The dog ends up passing away at a certain point and then is reborn and reborn again and reborn again throughout the movie as different dogs to different families, different people. But they always bring joy to these people. In the end, you get back and it's Dennis Quaid who's playing the character that, Dude, he's the, still little, in the, that the little boy was playing earlier in the film. He and his girlfriend had had broken up over this whole issue that he had broken his leg and weird thing. His girlfriend is now played by Peggy Lipton. Now, you're not old enough to know who Peggy Lipton is. No. There was a TV, There was a TV show called Mod Squad back in the day, and Peggy Lipton was 
hot. Okay. And now she's playing a grandmother, and I'm sitting there going, oh, man, I feel bad. The movie's okay. I would be. <laughs> there we go. I that was be, a very long walk. I would be. Yeah. <laughs> shut up, Todd. I was beginning to wonder if we could review this movie or not. <laughs> I just I, was going to let this go because I wanted to see how many rabbit trails he could just he could get down on in just a few minutes. Yes. Okay. So here's what I will tell you. I would be very careful to take small kids to this movie because there's a lot. I mean, there's alcoholism. There's a fire. There's there's bullying. There, I mean, it's. I'm sitting there thinking this is a family film. This is kind of inappropriate. At least as far as I was concerned. But it's a good movie. And the dog keeps dying. If you love the the dog does keep dying, so take a (laughs) Kleenex. It's a good movie. It's it's not a great movie. Is it an excuse to get out of your house in the middle of February? I, or you is, know, or, you might or, want to or wait. You wait five months. You wait five months when it's hundred degrees outside, and, you, and it's an excuse to get it on demand in your basement. You've got to kill a couple of hours. You know what? Let's do that. All right. How many mushroom clouds? I give it two and a half, three. All right. So the dog fell short of its purpose if it only well, gets two and, and a half mushroom clouds. The inappropriate content. Aim higher, dog. Aim higher. All right, uh, and then Matthew McConaughey has a new movie out. He does. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is in a movie called Gold, where which is, again, one of those based on a true story. Uh, you've got a guy who's a, a prospector, you know, in a business suit. They run in a company. They're prospecting for valuable and minimal minerals, and he's got a... He's got a hunch that there's a gold strike coming someplace, and he goes there. He hires a guy, and guess what? They find gold, Steve. It's the 1980s. People are throwing money. People are throwing cocaine. And then it takes a pretty severe downward swing, and life does not turn out the way Matthew McConaughey's character thought it was going to turn out. It is I, – I was bored. It's an adventure drama thriller. I was bored. And you were bored? I was bored. Uh, it sounds like the last Matthew McConaughey film that I watched. Has anybody ever figured out what the hell Interstellar was all about? It was exciting, but I was bored. <laughs> I, I think Inter- I like it Interstellar a lot. I just didn't I think it was it. great. It yeah. was not I didn't great. think it was as great as most people thought it was. But yeah. I thought it was okay. It was okay. Now, my son, Noah, when him and I went and saw it, he was bored to tears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He I mean, I typically tears. like all that stuff, but then when, once they got he, to the fourth dimension he, stuff, is halfway like, through, oh. through it, he looked at me and said, "This the guy that made the Dark Knight." <laughs> okay. I saw what down, happened to him. He said, <laughs> I saw it. I saw it down at the IMAX, which is a little distracting. <laughs> we got to get uh, that interview. Noah interviewing Christopher <laughs> Nolan. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> what happened to you? So it's called Gold. It's called Gold, and it is far from. It's far from. Yeah. Is it maybe? It, Bronze? Is it bronze? Not a silver? Copper? Copper, maybe? Porcelain? It is. <laughs> porcelain. You know what? It's a lot closer to porcelain. It's a lot closer to else. porcelain. Uh, how many mushroom clouds for gold? Um, let's give it. Well, the box office for opening weekend was 3.5. Uh, let's give it a 2. 2.5. Just to recap quickly, what's out right now that you would recommend that if people haven't seen it, that you would recommend they go see? Because we'll do on demand when we come back. I mean, because there's other because th- these weren't the most inspiring new choices, right? This week we've got the Rings sequel that's been on the shelf for like a year and a half coming out. Right, a cute teenage Crawling romantic the drama space between us. My daughters are going to go see that this week, and they're looking forward to it. But what's something quickly? Two things that are out right now that we've previously reviewed. If people missed them, they should go see. Well, I would think uh, Hidden Figures is Hidden the crowd pleasing film. That's La La Land is out there. All right, and on demand is next. He's right about Hidden Figures. 
You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not trying to win the argument. We're trying to start one. This is Steve Dace. By the way, Mike said some movies we previously reviewed to go out and see. Uh, two of them he mentioned. He's absolutely right about the third. Everybody loves La La Land. I just can't vouch for it because I haven't seen it myself. But, I mean, it's, it's a Best Picture you, nominee for a reason, right? You're not going to like it. Yeah, because, they sing a lot. Well, they sing a lot. But, you know, you're the big Grease fan. So I do like Grease a lot. Okay. I like The Wizard of Oz. That's but one of my ex- all-time favorite movies. The problem now is expectations are so high of people going in because everybody's praising it. It's just, now, my it's teenage daughter movie. that listeners, regular listeners to this show know is, is, aspires to have a professional singing career, and she's won some singing competitions. She went to see the movie, so this is right up her alley, right? Yep. Loved it, she said, until the end. Hated the end. Well, because she's that age. Okay. Uh, but you're right about Split, although if you haven't, if you don't, if you, if you haven't seen M. Night Shyamalan's previous works, you will be let down by the big twist at the end because it won't resonate with you what he was trying to do. Right. But, but, the, but McAvoy's performance up until that point is worth the price of admission alone. Now, my sources say that this is, that it's going to just pick up from there and go. Uh, well, the next film. And we know so. your sources are always are always dead on the money. Absolutely. And you're right as well about Hidden Figures, which is another Best Picture nomination, one of the best movies of 2016 that I saw. Aaron, I was right twice this week. Um, I don't want to work here anymore. Yeah. This is this was not in the uh, this was not in the job description. You you and Woody are always supposed to disagree, Steve. <laughs> what's on. what's new on demand? All right, we've got Jack Reacher, which is the Tom Cruise uh, movie, Never Go Back. I was not a big fan of the original film. I just thought it was like. Eh, I liked okay. the original film, thought, but Amy and I both thought it was underrated. I thought this one was better. Okay, I, I haven't this seen one. this one yet. I'll, I'll this put it on my fun. list. You'll like it. Okay, it's 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 a lot more action. Uh, I'm going to skip uh, the Medea Halloween film. Not your thing? Because, I mean, I know you like Dave Chappelle's Block Party. That's what Well, Tyler plays. Perry dressed so. like a woman who's really never done much for you, or for me. Here's, here's the one, and I don't know if your family saw it, The Queen of Catway. It's about, That's on our cue list. Yeah. It's, it's a My U- girls can't wait Ugandan girl who learns chess and becomes a chess master. It is a fantastic family film. At the end, they bring in the real-life people in mm-hmm. next to the person that played them. It's just a charming film, and I think it's a great family film. Okay. Now, remember last week I recommended a Netflix film. I haven't gotten to it yet. One of our listeners did see it, sent me a text, and said, that movie creeped me out. You're exactly right about it. Well, that's what it's supposed to do. Yes, Good. that's that, it is supposed to do that. Now, that's not the greatest movie in the world, but if you're looking for something to justify your whatever, the I, my wife pays the bill, so I don't even know what Netflix costs a month, okay? Ten but, bucks. Ten bucks. So if you're looking for something to justify ten bucks, that is not something you've seen before. Uh, if you don't get into the net, no, you know Netflix is producing so many TV series now. I I forget sometimes that's the problem. I forget sometimes which series on Netflix are from other channels and which are from actually Netflix. They they're making so many series, but they're starting to do more full length motion pictures now. Yes. I've seen a couple. They've been so they did one last year that was really good called Hush, about a deaf woman who faces a home invasion. I would highly recommend that one as well. Hush is pretty good, too. Quit and, recommending and things. I'm in college basketball season. I don't have time. Watcher and Hush. Those are two Netflix originals. If you're looking for non-gory, creepy movies, you know, on a date night, those are a couple good suggestions. Mike, we'll see you next week. All right, guys. Dace Group is next. You're listening to Steve Dace.
you are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think, and we'll get to some of your feedback coming up a little bit later on. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can contact us there, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Of course, this being Hour 2 on a Friday night, it's time for the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was with a tip of the cap to the late, great John McLaughlin, who is the man who created this format. This is the Dace Group. We have Shannon Joy with us, talk show host from New York, filling in for Kim this week. Let's get to issue one, the judge. Donald Trump picked his man. I promise to select someone who respects our laws and is representative of our Constitution and who loves our Constitution. I am a man of my word. Today, I am keeping another promise to the American people by nominating Judge Neil Gorsuch to be of the United States Supreme Court. Gorsuch of the U.S. 10th Circuit Court of Appeals knows he has huge shoes to fill. The towering judges that have served in this particular seat of the Supreme Court, including Annan Scalia and Robert Jackson, are much in my mind at this moment. Justice Scalia was a lion of the law. I miss him. Typical leftist outrage was had, as well as a tinge of skepticism from those on the right about Gorsuch's record on the life issue, although he does have a stellar history on religious liberty. First question, uh, Shannon, we go to you right out of the gate. Trump a promise to appoint Supreme Court justices that will overturn Roe v. Wade during the presidential campaign. In fact, he boldly said so during the very first presidential debate that about 100 million people watched. So do you think he kept that promise with Neil Gorsuch? I asked you. Hey, Steve, how are you? You know, amazingly, Donald Trump managed to find the one candidate who is absolutely an enigma when it comes to abortion and Roe versus Wade. Um, not only has he ha- he hasn't ruled on it, we don't see it in any of his writings, but he really has spoken very little about abortion in his 49 years. So at this point, Steve, we just don't know. I don't know. I'll be waiting for his Senate confirmation uh, testimony to get a better graph. Um, in his book, and this is interesting, something that I um, didn't know before, but in his book, The Future of Assisted Suicide and Euthanasia, um, he did affirm, and this is a quote, the idea that human life is intrinsically valuable and that intentional killing is always wrong, which is good. But also in the book, he also wrote, um, and this is a quote, under Rose Express Holding, a fetus does not qualify as a person. So we wait, gentlemen. I think that's where we are. 
Well, his judicial analysis there is correct. Under Roe, a fetus does not qualify as a person, which is why I'm an advocate of the so-called personhood strategy, Dodd, to say, when does life begin? Is that is that a person? Because our argument has no merit unless that's a person, right? We don't want the government going around telling people what they can do with their bodies unless what they plan to do with it is unlawful or imposes on somebody else. So the whole question really comes down to, is that unborn being a person or not? That could be what he meant by that. I mean, his, his legal analysis that under Roe... A fetus is not a person is true. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean that Todd that, that that's what he thinks, but that goes to what Shannon said. He is an enigma on this subject. Even even people like Kelly Shackelford from First Liberty Institute, whose opinion I hold in very high regard and I've known for years, when he spoke in glowing terms of Judge Gorsuch on every issue, but when we asked him about this on the air the other night, what did he say? I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. I'm more confident, based on the legal reasoning I have read so far from him, that he will come down undeniably on the side of pro-life. What I'm less um, certain about, even though he has said things that they, it's important that the court doesn't have an undue uh, respect for precedent— Amen, because that's the key here. If you're just going to say, you know, the, the last 40 years has been bunk, does, does he have the courage of conviction— to follow through on that, perhaps even lead the charge on that. I think that's the real question. But based on all his, uh, it would be bizarre uh, if he came down uh, on the side of not being pro-life based on some of the reasons. Usually we have, it's, it seems increasingly that we have pro-life people, but they get squishy on religious freedom. Mm-hmm. He's he's a rock star on religious freedom based on what we said. It, I think it would be really weird if he's not aggressively pro-life legally you're right. speaking. You're right, it would be. That, that's a good observation. But we also have a president that often says things that disgust you and then turns right around and does things that please you, which is totally opposite of most of the politicians we've seen in our lives as well. So this is the year of the mercurial. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to say definitely. This is, um, I, I think he did appoint, and I think he did um, uh, keep his promise by appointing Gorsuch. Because when you look at the last three or four people that he was down to, uh, and then you throw in uh, Diane Sykes uh, from earlier. I, I think he really went for the um, the person that the base, out of those names that he uh, threw out there, that the base really responded the best to. And that would have been uh, Neil Gorsuch. Uh, Mike Lee, to my knowledge, was never on that list. Um, and so he kept his word. And I think if he hadn't kept his word, he probably would have gone with any other anybody else other than uh, Neil Gorsuch. So I, I'm going to go with a yes. So you you called him an enigma, Shannon. You've heard both Todd and Aaron, who have sat here all week, listen, or the last couple of weeks as we've talked Neil Gorsuch. All the interviews we've done, skeptics like Andy Schlafly, for example. My own analysis, which is trust but verify, they have sifted through all of that, sat here and been subjected to all of that. They've expressed more confidence in him than you did initially. Does that have you reconsidering your enigma status? You're going to stick with that. Well, you have to separate uh, Neil Gorsuch with the abortion issue and everything else. So I've practically been swooning over some of his writings that I've, as I've been looking into his position on, uh, you know, bureaucratic overreach and Fourth Amendment issues, which conservatives are often squishy on. Um, he is a rock star. So you know, I, you know. On the abortion issue, we have to wait and see. I think it's going to come out. Um, we'll be pleasantly surprised after the Senate confirmation hearings. But if you're, if you're asking about just abortion, we're going to have to wait and see. But everything else, he's stellar. He's excellent. I want to go to what um, Shannon said a few minutes ago, gentlemen, about 
Trump seemed to find the one federal judge who has almost no record or writings on Roe v. Wade at all. How much of that do you think is potentially on purpose? How much of that um, is, 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 is this? I mean, they pulled off a, a first class political presentation on Tuesday night, and mm-hmm. they did so moving it up two days because they wanted to move on from the erratic immigration rollout. And, and let's face it, political staging has not always been Trump's strength no. as a candidate, right? He's more of the, as Todd likes to say, the Incredible Hulk. He's not Tony Stark. They did some Tony Stark on Tuesday. So typically when we ask how much of this is calculated, we look at each other, laugh, and say, it's not calculated. Is it possible that given the level of stagecraft that was put into this, Todd, that in this case this was a calculated thing? Hey, I taught, maybe Trump is saying, I know where this guy stands personally. I vetted him. But you know what? We're not going to lead with our chin. I, and, I, and, the la- and I picked a guy that uh, you guys all voted unanimously for, including Ted Kennedy before he died, to put him on the federal appeals court. So is it possible that this could be a rare case of political skullduggery here on the part, on the part of uh, the Trump White House? I don't think so, because when you said from... I tried. When you say from the get-go you're uh, going to appoint pro-life judges, no matter what you've said in the past, they're coming for you. All right, so you, you believe, even though there's nothing on his record, you think they appointed one, but they did it without calculating that they found a guy who had nothing on his record, but he'll do the right thing anyway. To me, that seems hard to... That seem, your, your view seems hard to believe. That you think he, you are more confident than I am that he has a vote against Roe, but, but you don't think that no. they f- went out and found a guy on purpose who has a calculated record that doesn't expose what he really thinks. I don't... I don't think that needle in the haystack, what's, what's the advantage? I'm trying to, I don't even understand what you think they're gaining by because him not saying anything when they know they're coming at him regardless. What's not, what has not been talked about since Tuesday from the left? Only from our side. Our side's the only one talking about Roe. They're not talking about it. I know, I've been following the coverage closely. The other side's not, the other side, well, other Cecile than. Cecile Richard is maybe, worried. She doesn't count. I'm talking like actual coverage. I'm not talking ideologues. Other than the ideologues, and if Trump nominated Merrick Garland, he'd be the worst pro, uh, pro-life justice of all time. I'm talking legitimate news, of, even of the fake variety. There's almost no talk about Gorsuch's view on Roe. I brought it up on CNN yesterday. The host basically yawned. I just think they're getting their ducks in a row. I, that... That's right. it. They're coming, Steve. All, all of this they're is coming. coming. I agree they're coming. Like drums I, in I, the deep, I, they're I coming. I can't figure out, though, why you are confident, even though there's nothing in his record, that he will do the right thing if you don't also therefore believe that Trump put him up there because he doesn't have that record on purpose to put him off the scent. It would seem to me one of those two things has to be true. But mm. we'll have this discussion another day. Exit because we're out of time. Exit question. Based on all you've read and the research you've done, right on a scale of 1 to 10, your confidence in Neil Gorsuch as a Supreme Court justice quickly. Shannon. Eight. Eight. Todd. Eight. I'm going to go with an eight. I'm going to say a seven. I could be convinced it could be an eight. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Shannon Joy, New York talk show host, filling in for Kim this week. Let's get to issue two, the ban. Donald Trump issued an executive order last weekend which tightens immigration and visa issuance to the United States and outright bans it from some countries, albeit temporarily. 
The executive order explicitly stated that the need for the tightening of restrictions was due to the need for a review of the process of how visas are issued and to whom. Refugees are blocked from entering the country for 120 days, while Syrian refugees specifically are banned indefinitely. The order limited the number of refugees allowed into the country in 2017 to 50,000, which is not out of line with the number of refugees the United States has taken in in recent years. The entire thesis of the executive order is to keep the United States safe, so of course leftist agitators around the country showed up at airports to protest. The rollout and the handling of the aftermath by the Trump administration was not great, as mixed messages were sent. And this, added with fake reports greatly exaggerating the number of those detained in airports because of the new order and the details of the order itself, among other things, made this story a major squib for the new president. All right, let's get to the first question. Todd, you're up first this time. Polls show that this is popular with the public, despite its erratic rollout and the media outcry. Are you surprised? Not at all. And it's important to point out that there was a poll, and forgive me, I don't remember who conducted both polls, but there was a poll of this before the unveiling that held those numbers, and there was a poll after it that held those numbers with almost no loss whatsoever. This is what we have learned from Donald Trump winning this election. Uh, Far more people uh, than any of us thought, uh, at the very least, held their nose because they're fed up what the other side is doing. And this is what Donald Trump uh, is uh, addressing. He, uh, people tired that it's everything but America first. Donald Trump here is clearly putting America first in a way that even President uh, Obama and the press were complicit in doing Obama by carrying through and then the press by keeping it quiet because, you know, we're, de- we're not going to talk about this too much because, you know, we, we realize this is important, but it might be a bad optic for the future. So th- this is very much the Trump victory coming to life. I think also when you see polls that show nearly a majority of Americans approve of this by six to eight points, depending on the survey you're looking at, unless it's Rasmussen, which is a GOP shield poll. Now, I mean, Reuters polls on this, you got to remember, they're going to ask the premise of this question from the liberal viewpoint, from the progressive viewpoint. They're not going to ask, do you believe it was prudent for Donald Trump to have more uh, tighter vetting of refugees for national security? That's not the question Reuters is asking, guys. Okay, do you think they're asking, do you, what do you think about Donald Trump leaving these poor immigrants uh, out in the street to starve? Uh, do you think that's prudent? Or should we help these people? That's the question they're asking. So given the, the, the framing of the, of the question in that kind of uh, issue-based polling, Aaron, is clearly, from a source like that, comes from a progressive view. When you get those numbers, imagine if the question was asked in a more balanced sense mm-hmm. what the numbers might be. Yeah, and this story was, was a squib for, for Donald Trump as far as squibs go in this time. Because we're still living in a, a period of time right now where Donald Trump is King Kong when it comes to the media. Um, and he's, I mean, the media has not got anything on him right now and people keep talking bandying about the term well we're, you know we didn't have a honeymoon with this president at all there's no grace period with the media uh, the media is irrelevant at this point they can't i mean this is another illustration this whole story is another illustration the two polls that you just cited todd where there was virtually no change before and after this executive order went down their coverage their outrage the left's cover or the left's outrage and provocateering um that is that is i think we're living in a time right now where that 
that's irrelevant. Now, if it comes to a time uh, where the trains don't run on time, where there's more money out of my pocket than there was before, that's when I think you'll see that the, the rest of the nation, we've talked about that before, the rest of the nation turn on, on Trump. But and that Sh- time is not today. And Shannon, we saw in the GOP primary, we, whether it was more moderate to liberal New Hampshire, whether it was more conservative Alabama, whether it was more purple um, you know, states uh, from a Republican perspective out west, the one thing that remained true in all of the exit polling, no matter where we went, is this was the most popular stance Trump had. Well, it absolutely is. And I and I really think that, um, you know, I hate to say this, but I really believe that the Trump team wants this. Uh, a lot of people are reporting that it was a mistake. It was botched. The rollout was terrible. Um, when you really think about it, about 100 people were affected out of thousands with the, you know, the, the, the Muslim ban, according to, you know, the way the left terms it. Um, but every time Trump does this, the left begins to riot. And every time the left riots, Trump's supporters come out to defend him. And if the Trump team can keep the rabid anti-Trumpers and the rabid Trump train folks at each other's throats, they can, you know, distract the Americans from what they are failing to do, specifically DACA. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but just last week, Donald Trump was on with ABC talking about dreamers. And this was a seminal promise in his campaign that he was going to undo President Obama's DACA, the Deferred Action uh, for Childhood Arrivals. And this is what Trump said about dreamers. He said, they are here illegally, but they shouldn't be very worried. I do have a big heart. We're going to take care of everyone. And so I think... Again, um, you know, we're watching the shiny object. Uh, I think uh, we're distracted. I- I'm, uh, I'm worried about DACA. Todd? Um, I- I'm worried about a lot of things w- with Donald Trump. Uh, so, you know, he, he, I, we're only two weeks in. Do we still are, I'm still the same never Trump guy I was two months ago. So uh, you use the term trust but verify. This is a fascinating lesson in monitoring my own psychology and making sure my eye is on the ball of the particular issues and also not getting swept away. I mean, getting on Facebook and Twitter and just making sure I'm not reacting to the left just because I enjoy it, even though they might have some points on any given issue. It's been an interesting two weeks, man. Aaron, what do you think of uh, Shannon's, yeah. which is exact, which was which was more directly what I was asking Todd about? What do you think then about Shannon's contention that that this is uh, this is somewhat of a distraction from Trump has clearly not lived up to his promise to uh, un- to repeal DACA, which for people who don't remember is Obama's illegal executive amnesty. Yeah, I think that's a great observation because that's I mean that's something that we were starting to talk about a little bit and people were starting to to get a little bit nervous about last week and then this executive order came down. And I think Shannon, um, to her point, I, nobody's talking about DACA again this week. And she's right. That that was one of the main uh, promises of, of his campaign. And still, uh, we've gotten on to other things. And, uh, you know, uh, the Supreme Court pick. And we've, uh, you know, issued an executive order. Or we're going to issue an executive order on religious liberty. We're talking about other things now that are not named DACA. Yeah, I, I guess my point, and perhaps I made it badly, he's, he's already doing so much to get swapped up in what he has hasn't done yet on one particular issue mm-hmm. it, it it seems like you're reaching for something i mean there's all kinds of other places really to be focusing on energy the things he already has done exit question todd i'll start with you grade trump's week what if you were the teacher here what would what grade would you give him if it wasn't for the fact that 
uh, Gorsuch came along, it, it would be worse because of his LGBT ruling and the sloppiness of immigration. But because that is such a huge issue, I will give him a B. I'm going to go with a B minus. B minus. Uh, Shannon, give Trump a grade for this week. I gave him a B plus, guys. <laughs> A little better. Uh, I, I'm going to go with a B. Uh, I'm, I'm with Todd on uh, upholding Obama's stupid rainbow jihad executive order, although it looks like something else may be coming down the pike that will further clarify this. Um, I, I might have been persuaded to go higher until yesterday's um, ridiculous statement on settlements uh, in Israel and the West Bank. So I'm going to go with a B as well. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network, our weekly look at the week that was. Let's get to issue three. Tolerance hurts. Breitbart tech editor and flamboyant reprobate Milo Yiannopoulos was scheduled to give a speech on the campus of the University of California, Berkeley, this week. That triggered a bunch of young people, and instead of retreating to a safe space, they rioted, of course, and attacked anybody who looked like they weren't rioting. I'm looking to just make a statement by being here, and I think the protesters are doing the same. And props to them for the ones who are doing it nonviolently, but I think that's a very rare thing at the That hiss at the end of the clip is a girl, no more than 19 or 20 years of age, getting pepper sprayed because she was wearing a Make America Great Again hat. As far as the actual scene, the word anarchy was created to describe such a grotesque display of the worst of our worst of humanity. Fires were started, a Starbucks was looted, and many buildings were vandalized on the campus. All because a guy was going to give a speech. First question, Shannon, I'll start with you. Where does this rioting culture of the left come from, and what are they hoping to accomplish with it, I ask you? You know, this is just an embodiment of Lenin's useful idiot. Um, these these people, and I wish I could say it was just a small you know, subset of our culture, these kids are brainwashed in the public education system from the time they're kindergarten to the time they get out. They're mind-numbed by, and desensitized by the pop culture. Uh, they're spoiled and entitled and coddled in higher education institutions, uh, completely unable to deal with opposing viewpoints. And uh, we really need to worry about this because this is not just happening on college campuses anymore, guys. I am doing a, a ton of research on uh, the white privilege movement. Uh, this is in every middle school and high school in America, and they are um, they are deeply embedded within our, our education institutions, and we are going to get more of this. This is not going to end unless uh, parents take back education and uh, rip them out of the hands of the federal government. Well, a little Lord Nefarious here, I think. They are absolutely certain, as certain as you are of anything, th- that they are right. That needs to be recognized. I mean, they believe that they are on a crusade for some kind of righteousness. When you tie that into the false ego that comes along with being the most educated generation uh, ever in, in world history, but it's been a terrible education, and the fact that they are very much their impulses have not been checked so they very much are children you combine the high level of education with childlike thinking you you get something that by definition will go off the rails 
Yeah, the the cause of this, of course, is parents ceding, a lot of parents ceding their re- own responsibility in raising and training their children over to the government. And part of it is the government just affirming everything about children except for their whiteness or their straightness or their uh, Christianity. And then uh, you, uh, you're absolutely right, Todd, you get childlike thinking along with a high IQ. And I would also add adult hormones, and that's what you get with all the writing. That's a pretty good diagnosis of what's happened here, Todd, don't you think, from Aaron? No, he's dead on. Shannon, you want to respond to what Aaron just pointed out to, that he sees happening? And, and I mean, this is this existed. For, this has existed on the left since the since the sixties. But yeah. his diagnosis of why this has emerged again in his generation. Your thoughts on that, quickly? Yeah, you know, this is it's even more insidious uh, in public schools right now. I, I just did a, a couple shows on the movie "I'm Not Racist, Am I?" which is hitting suburban schools all over the country. Uh, these, it is highly manipulative and and what they're doing it's not just um you know that they're spoiled that they're brainwashed into being little socialists this is setting up the races against each other Uh, this movie basically asserts that if you have white skin you are a racist period Uh, if you have black skin you are a victim you are subjugated and so what they're doing is that this is in, in middle school and high school they are sowing seeds of hatred in the hearts of young kids and and that is very difficult to take out. So they're starting earlier and earlier. I agree with you guys 100%. All right, let's get to the exit question here. What is the end game then? Todd, what do you think the end game is? Pagan utopia. By any means necessary. Yeah, yeah. And that's you're not being glib. You're, no. you're, you are filling in the blank that is important. You, and I've said before. If you, that, if, if, you, if you plebs are too dumb to vote for it yes. of your own free will, then you know we're going to enforce our tolerance upon you. Absolutely. Those ends justify any means. Aaron? Uh, the end goal is Sarah Silverman uh, rolling down the streets of Washington, D.C. in Cuban military garb <laughs> in a tank. <laughs> Shannon, what's the end game? I think it's always what progressives love and lust for, and that's control. Complete control. See, I think these things are not only going to continue, I think they're going to escalate until one of two things happens. Uh, un- until the other side of the debate debate rises up violently to meet them in the streets, which none of us want to see, or government authorities start, arrest- or start arresting and prosecuting thugs who act out like this. And, and, but until one of those two things happens, they have no incentive to stop at all. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to issue four, the what, Scouts? Boy Scouts of America executive Michael Serbaugh has become enlightened. For more than 100 years, the BSA, along with schools, youth sports, and other youth organizations, ultimately deferred to the information on an individual's birth certificate to determine eligibility for and participation in many programs, especially single gender programs. After weeks of significant conversations at all levels of our organization, we realized that referring to birth certificates as the reference point is no longer sufficient. And using the word boy before scouts is no longer sufficient either. First question to you, Todd. Are the Boy Scouts finished? Or is their brand strong enough to withstand this, I ask you? I don't think they're 
immediately finished based on my experience with uh, what I've seen with the Girl Scouts. I just think there's going to be enough inertia there for the time being to keep this going along because this stuff is done at the national level but it's often it's run locally out of churches and schools and i've I've heard the from relatively conservative people saying well you know we can still do what we want to here and you can you know you can carry that on for a while if you don't have any immediate problems of having to deal with this kind of thing you, you can so i think there's going to be some inertia where people just want to live in denial so can't can't we just get past this but I, it it is done within the next decade to two decades. What Aaron, what Todd is describing is what happens to church denominations when they go down this yes. road. In that the, the, the pews don't empty out right away. But over the course of time, the more liberalized they become on sexual ethics issues, uh, they eventually just end up abandoning the scriptures altogether. And you see like what's happened to the Episcopalians, which was one of the dominant denominations at the dawn of America. They're down to only a couple million members. You see this with declining memberships in almost every mainline denomination that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. They go more liberal and people are like, well, if you're only selling me what I can get everywhere else, I don't need this extra time commitment. And what Todd is saying essentially is this will happen of the Boy Scouts eventually. Parents are going to say, it's this or soccer. It's this or baseball. It's this or football. And and if you're not offering them a value system that much different than they get in those other pursuits, I can't afford time-wise to do both of them, so it's one or the other. Yeah, and let's get something right here. I mean, the Boy Scouts and this Michael Serbaugh, who is, who's the top dog, he didn't just wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I'm going to start allowing girls into uh, the Boy Scouts. No, he, this, this is, again, this is an example of the Rainbow Jihad, of the locust that is progressive in the United States. That's not to say that uh, wayward denominations or the Boy Scouts, for this matter, are victims here because they're not. But over a period of time, this type of thing happens. When you get uh, infested with locusts, eventually what they leave behind is nothing. So to answer your question, yes, the Boy Scouts are finished just uh, because this, these kinds of models, we see this all of the time once, the, once uh, an organization or a denomination goes down this road. It's just not su- sustainable. This is, again, and an example of locusts, and locusts leave, lead, uh, leave nothing alive behind. Shannon? Concerning to me on a, on a larger level, just you know, seeing our, these, these civic organizations, our churches, our not-for-profit organizations become so uh, tightly tethered to the federal government, to their not-for-profit status, that uh, you see them really just kind of bending to the will of the progressives in, in the federal government. And a lot of them, if you look in the statement from the Boy Scouts, uh, he mentioned that it was just too difficult to, uh, to resist all of the state statutes and the federal statutes as, as, you know, and this came straight from the reinterpretation of, of, um, you know, Barack Obama and his administration, the new rules regarding, you know, transgenders. And so, um, you know, it, it, it worries me for our churches, our our uh, religious institutions who enjoy right now tax free status. Um, but you know, I think the the longer we let this go, the the longer the arm of the federal government will seek to extend into these local organizations, and it's worrisome to me. I think this could have been predicted. In fact, I did predict it the minute they went down this road uh, on the homosexuality issue that we we are incapable as a species of applying bricks we just we cannot do it as i said the other night uh, very few things in life robert bork was the great robert bork was incorrect about this is one of them we are not slouching towards gomorrah we're sprinting towards it 
Uh, and once we step onto the slope, we are slip, slip, sliding away until we reach bottom. We cannot brace ourselves, stop ourselves. It was simply just a matter. They will become the goat scouts. They'll become the dish. They'll, they'll become the inanimate object scouts. I mean, they, they will just continue to devolve as an institution because once you make up, once you, once you accept one of these, uh, sexual dysfunctions, there's not really a parameter in place to not accept them all. Yeah. I was going to say something snarky like when I grow up or when I grow up, and have kids when i have my first kids i've always dreamed of having kids that identify as turtles and so i don't think this order went far enough I, where, where are the turtle scouts i want the turtle scouts but no you're absolutely right Stephen. i don't think it's so much that we're not capable of applying the brakes uh, and that's true we just don't want them our base nature don't we don't want bricks and that's why we're we, incapable of applying them. Ex- well yes exactly but when we're given a, a culture like we had in the united states that had a, a strong a solid foundation in judeo-christian principles and morals and worldviews, that acts as somewhat of a break. The system of government that was devised for us by the founders, that acts as a break, but over time we're trying to rip that break away, and you're absolutely right. Once we rip that break away, there's no going back. I actually, while I share Shannon's concerns, I'd love to see tax-exempt status taken away. In fact, I'd just take it away tomorrow. Let's just get everybody on the record who's in this for the cause of the gospel and who's in this for incorporation. And let's just go ahead and weed out the wheat from the chaff right from the outset. I'd I'd do that tomorrow uh, if I could. Let's get to the exit question. Would you ever let your son join the Boy Scouts, Todd? Nope. Aaron? Nay. Shannon? Uh, Probably not. I I would say say if, if it was controlled locally meaning we had a local family or the church was in control of it and we were able to uh, essentially just, you guys can issue whatever edict from on high you want, we're just not going to do it, then I wouldn't have a problem with it. But uh, if, if that was not, if we weren't possible of op- as operating like the Caledonian Romans, then uh, no. Uh, no, I, I would not. Yeah, and there's other there's other options available too. Boy Scouts is not the only type of it's organization that does and, this type of thing. And, and that's the thing. Then you ask yourself, though, Trail still, Life USA, it's sure. a Christian organization. You still ask yourself, though, uh, even if we did operate that way, is some of the money that you know whatever we invest in this does it end up going upstream uh, to the people that are imposing this? Right. I mean, that's one of the issues with Girl Scouts. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of great work, but I don't want to see them. I don't want to. I don't want any of my money going to help Planned Parenthood. Right. So. We'll come back with predictions next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back one final time here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. So we spend most of this hour up until this point taking a look back. We'll now close it out by taking a gaze forward. It is time for this week's predictions. Shannon, ladies first, you're up. All right. The dreamers are here to stay. Uh, If you knew, if you could see from my last uh, uh, comment on DACA, I think that we will see in the next few weeks, Donald Trump will uh, roll out a new executive order, but the dreamers will stay. He'll go after criminals and uh, the bad guys instead. And uh, those on the right wing media, Fox News, the big talkers, the, the Trump fans will not even blink an eye. Todd, wish I could say I don't believe that's what's going to happen, but I do. Todd. Despite uh, all of Daniel Horitz's legitimate 
concerns about uh, Congress and Obamacare. I think there will be a full repeal of Obamacare and something into, uh, implemented along the lines of what Rand Paul is opposing. I, I think it, just based on the momentum we're seeing from Trump, he is doing what he said he was going to do, just like the LGDP thing. We don't like it. But did anybody ever think he was going to do anything other than that? So he, he seems on target to do just about everything he said. I don't, I, I, I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> yeah, Todd, what have you done with want, my Todd? I want the Todd back, the old Todd back. What have you done? Are you a life model decoy? This is not the real Todd Erzin. And which thread are you pulling on? Uh, way, way too much optimism. Just, just way... It's not way too much it's, optimism. It's not optimism. It's actually reading what he's done. The momentum seems to be heading in that direction. Aaron, save us. Yeah, next, you gave him a B plus, right? Next, I gave him a B. Next All hour, right, we should okay. force Todd to recite an imprecatory psalm or something like that. <laughs> um, I'm going for low hanging fruit here since this is my middle name. I'm going to hit you with a stat which Steve probably already knows because he already knows every football stat. Five Super Bowl wins between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, right? Yep. How many points do you think they averaged in the first quarter of each of those wins? I have that I don't know. I know that all but one of the Super Bowls they played in has been decided by seven points or less. I did know that. They have averaged zero points hmm. in the first quarter of every Super Bowl that they've won. My prediction is they're going to shatter that this weekend in the Super Bowl. They're going to score twenty one points in wow. the first quarter. Wow, you should get down on that little uh, uh, prop bet wager action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's twenty one points in a quarter. In a Super Bowl, in any game, is a lot. Yeah. Uh, my prediction is going to be Super Bowl related as well. I, I think Tom Brady will become the first quarterback to ever win five Super Bowls on Sunday. I think the Patriots will beat the Falcons. I think that uh, this will not be by seven points or less. I think Atlanta will get its points, will get its yards. I just think New England's defense is better. Uh, and I think they'll get a couple of more stops in the game. So I think it's going to be 38-24, you know, uh, 41-31, somewhere in that realm. I mean, Atlanta will get its points, will get its yards. They're too explosive on offense, but I think New England gets a a couple more stops. They don't get, and they get one for the thumb. They get uh, Belichick and Brady get their fifth ring. Shannon, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You too. We'll have Hour 3 next. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. D-E-A-C-E is how you can find us there. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Like us on Facebook. We'll get to some of your uh, some of your feedback that you've sent to us. One of those three ways coming up a little bit later on in this hour. But first, it's time for three questions. Three questions. 
We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, indeed, it is time for three questions when our producer, Aaron, grabs the reins, says, hey, I got my learner's permit. Let me drive, Dad. So we buckle those seatbelts a little tighter, even in the back seat, because you don't know what's coming next. Any three questions about any three things? There are no rules other than he has to answer the same questions himself. I have a lead foot, and I'm proud of it. Uh, Question one, what's one thing that's easy for you that most people struggle with? Oh, boy. Uh, I'll I'll say public speaking. Uh, That's something most people struggle with. Uh, It comes uh, uh, naturally to me. Uh, and that's on the list. I've always read of uh, a lot of people's one of their worst fears in life mm-hmm. is standing up and speaking in public. Uh, I love it. I feed off it. Uh, I still get nervous every now and then, depending on you know the magnitude of the event, those sorts of things. But uh, I've I've learned over the years to channel that to negative or that nervous energy into uh, uh, charisma. Well, I was going to say charisma. I thought that'd be exceedingly self-serving. So I was trying to come up with something else, but then you let the cat out of the bag. So, yes, sanctimonious maybe is the next thing I was trying to channel it into. So I appreciate that. And maybe we move right on to pretentiousness. Is that in fact sure? But but uh, I I, uh, um, I I love public speaking, and and that's it comes easy to me, and that's something that uh, most people struggle with. Now I tend to I, there are some things in life I struggle with that most people don't. You know, like. If if you want if you're looking for the kind of guy that's going to change his own oil and stuff like that don't don't call me up you know I don't I don't do any of those things you know but that's stuff most other guys can do I think whether in the political arena or I just think I know when what needs to be said needs to be said when that moment is so uh, other people's hem or haw and they're uncomfortable talking about things because you know what it's going to do to relationships you know. I, I'm not worried about that. I can talk about very controversial things uh, and that with people that believe nothing I say, and I don't need to diminish them personally. Uh, and I also know when that the, the, the time must be said to do the thing that people think is you know crazy or that's just not done. No, well, it's got to be done. So it's more of a default setting. I mean, I, 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 I needed to learn how to use that for good instead of evil, but that, that's always come naturally to me. Uh, not having a social life slash not going to the theaters. That's, that comes pretty pretty easy for me. It seems like uh, other people have a social life and they go to the theater quite often. <laughs> seems to be really easy for them. Cries for Help by Aaron McIntyre. Oh, question two. Not what? having a, No, 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 no. What? Not having a social life comes... Let me pull on this thread. What? Comes easy to me. Why, Why does... Follow him home tonight. Make sure there, that he doesn't have a long package in the back seat that he's claiming is curtain rods, <laughs> oh, and he ends up on the top of a freaking water tower 
with a with a with a laser pointer. All right, <laughs> not having a social life comes easy to me. Ah, uh, no. If you what want that? <laughs> if that wasn't a cry for help, America, I don't know what what is. Oh Lord, have mercy! What did I get myself into so, here? So what? Is, no, seriously, what is it with self-imposed uh, isolation? Yes, park the that car. You put dig. the car in park. Park the car now. <laughs> park it. Uh, mostly, it's uh, mostly it's self-deprecating humor. It's not. It's nothing serious. If it, if anybody actually is legitimately worried about that, but you know, I'm one of those people with the personalities. Like, I have two or three really close friends. That's just no, about, I get that. That's yeah. just that's just about it for me. Um, and they both live um, miles away. So, <laughs> <They both> live. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That Matthew 28 thing must just be a killer for you. I, uh, rather not. Oh, mercy. <laughs> two friends with their... <laughs> Go forth to all the world. Yeah. Oh, you make it spiritual now, Todd. The okay, first time Jesus I, Juke. Jesus Juke. The first time <laughs> I called you to see about uh, your your potential interest in this job... I was job, at home alone listening when, to the Steve Day Show when, podcast, when, when, when the first ring only got halfway through and you picked up that should have been a clue <laughs> <laughs> hello he was like startled the phone he already he already had even though he didn't know you that he had your name programmed into your phone just in case you ever called it's him it's happening <laughs> it's happening guys <laughs> You did it! He's talking to himself. You did it! Internet stalking works. I'm ready to play football at Baylor. I don't think I'm going to be able to get through this. I can't wait till people can see us on TV. Yes. Uh, When was the most inconvenient time you laughed so hard you couldn't stop? Now. Um, I'll, I'll start off because this will, this will uh, partly redeem myself from the last answer. Uh, I was at the theater a few weeks ago watching uh, Passengers, which is, apparently is a terrible movie because there's uh, evidently terrible stuff in it. Anyway, uh, there's like an android bartender. And um, when Chris Pratt's character confronts this uh, bartender with the fact that uh, Chris Pratt is awake and he shouldn't be, uh, this bartender is just like smiling at him and does a little twitch. And it just reminded me of when progressives and social justice warriors are reminded of the truth. And I just I, I started laughing in the theater and I just couldn't stop for like 10 minutes. One moment that uh, that's always stuck out to me is uh, I was 16 and we went to the old Studio 28 in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which used to be like the largest movie theater in the world. That's closed now. Mm-hmm. And we went to see the Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Batman movie on opening night. And I have this habit at move in movies of laughing at times nobody else laughs okay uh it's it's one of my crosses to bear and the scene where nicholson is he stole my balloons and he looks at his assistant bob and he says bob gun and he, bob hands him a gun and he just turns around and shoots <laughs> poor bob with it <laughs> right. there's total silence in the theater I I couldn't contain myself. I mean, I I laughed uncontrollably for like the next five minutes. I thought that was so funny. People are yelling at me, cussing at me. Get out of the theater. We can't hear it. I could not stop laughing at that moment, Todd. Christmas Eve Mass, uh, my brother and I were in high school, I believe, and we had seen before, just recently before Christmas Eve Mass, a edition of Mr. Bean with Rowan Atkinson, where he's in church, uh, and he knows none of the words to uh, Gloria in Excelsis Deo except that. So he's 
not singing anything, but when it gets to the refrain, he's just belting it out Mr. Bean style. So that song is being played. And my we're we're in the front row and my brother and I are just <laughs> cracking up. Those are the worst moments, especially in church. Um question three, take out your phones. It's the last picture you took. Ooh. Um hope it's safe for work. Let me look. Um what? I took what? a picture. <laughs> Yeah, what the heck, Steve? Um, uh, oh, this, uh, I'll start off I guess with this. it's 10 o'clock at night or whatever. Uh, you came in with a sign with the inscription, God doesn't qualify, or call the qualified, he qualifies the called, and I took a picture of it to uh, send to our set designer for the new show. Last picture I took is, uh, that's on my phone, but I clean this off all the time, so there might have been others, but the last, the most recent one that's still on my camera roll on my phone is Noah and I outside the theater... Uh, going to see Rogue One, so that would have been That's a good pick. Oh no, there's some, oh no, there's plenty of Christmas pictures in here as well. So those would be more recent because Rogue One came out right before Christmas. So pictures of the kids uh, opening up uh, their Christmas presents are the most uh, recent ones that I have. I have a picture of my second daughter Tessa, 11 years old, reading to my goddaughter, who I believe is three, at a brunch we attended at her parents' house a couple of weeks ago. All right. That's all I got. No, uh, no bonus questions today. I, I wanted Aaron. The way this needed to end <laughs> was Aaron needed to say, "There are no pictures on my phone." <laughs> it's a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> There's one selfie. I took a picture of myself sleeping. <laughs> because everybody I know is several miles away. <laughs> I don't get to the theater that much, and I don't have much of a social life. <laughs> uh. I breathe. But I do know your address. <laughs> I do know where you live. I know that. Oh, boy. You're listening to Steve Dace. Declaration of Dependence on the Laws of Nature and Nature's God. This is Steve Dace. How about something completely different? We need to have a talk about An excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. Yes, we do. This is the Nightly Buzz. We go back, take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the show. But since... Our producer, who admits to no social life, only having a couple of friends that live many miles away. He has been hanging out on social media all day long, finding out what you're doing, because that's creepy, uh, as well as listening to your conversations at the water cooler. He's got headlines. We will respond with the hot ticks. Thank you, Steve. First story, President Donald Trump plans to sign an executive action to scale back the 2010 Dodd-Frank financial overhaul law and a sweeping plan to dismantle much of the regulatory system put in place after the financial crisis. Um, I would like to know how that works, okay? And I'm a big believer. This is an argument, you libertarians, you've won with me. Uh, you've, you've won this argument uh, with me over the last few years. I'm, uh, I'm a big believer that when it comes to government action, to remember the old uh, line uh, that it ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun. When you start setting precedents of what government can do, 
beyond what it is clearly and explicitly outlined in our Constitution for it to do. Make sure you're okay uh, setting that precedent, because when the other guys get uh, in charge of government, they're going to use that precedent, and probably in ways that you won't approve of. So, you know, I know some of you ask me questions. Aren't you concerned about all the executive orders that Trump is signing? I'm not concerned at all about using executive orders to undo executive orders. I mean, when you look at how much of what Obama did by hook or by crook through uh, anti-constitutional fiat, you're going to need the next guy that was going to come in was going to have to do undo that damage similarly. I mean, we have not had in my lifetime a more staunch constitutionalist than Ted Cruz that actually had a chance to win the Republican nomination. And what was he out there promising for a year and a half? He's going to do largely these exact same executive actions to undo Obama's executive actions. But, Todd, when I hear that your plan to undo an act of a duly enacted law of Congress, a legal statute that is then signed into law, right? I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill, right? So it starts off as a bill on Capitol Hill. It ends up as a law on the desk of the president, and it's signed into law, and it's statute. When we're now talking about using executive power to undo legal statutes, I'm now concerned about that. That's when we get into separation of powers and everything else. So I, I now I'd like to know what the executive order says. If the executive order pertains to how the branch of government directly under his control will will, you know, act upon this legislation. He has every right to to rein in the jurisdiction of his own branch. But if we're now talking about using executive power to impose on the substance of a law, even one that I think is a bad law, I'm I, I that is not a precedent that I would support. I totally agree, but my quick read of this uh, is that it was your former argument that it's kind of like what he did that with that very first or second executive order he did about Obamacare, getting the ball rolling on tweaking what can be tweaked now within the power of uh, states, letting, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave you alone states in a way that Obama didn't, things like that. And then the other part of it was that we're going to begin a process of uh, investigating the legislation that is required to go all the way. So I did not get the impression that this is in any way an overreach, while I share all the same concerns you have. Next door, the U.S. has imposed sanctions on 13 people and 12 companies as a response to a ballistic missile test by Iran earlier this week. On Wednesday, the White House formally put Iran on notice. Similar sanctions were imposed on Iran by the Obama administration after ballistic uh, missile tests earlier during Obama's tenure. Reuters had previously reported that these sanctions are also written so as not to violate the nuclear agreement with Iran. I, I just I think that unless we are willing to go after the substance of that agreement, I, I don't know really what we could do that would punitively hurt them uh, because that agreement basically gave them essentially everything that they wanted. Uh, so I, I don't know what, else, what I don't I mean that it, it's a nice it's a nice talking point, but if we're going to go ahead and we're going to maintain that agreement, uh, then I, I don't know what further sanctions we're going to come up with that are anything other than uh, a sternly worded letter. Yeah, th- this has the feel to me of Trump doesn't exactly know what he wants to do yet, unlike in other areas, um, and that this is sort of a placeholder. The New York Times has left a new book about infamous abortionist and serial murderer Kermit Gosnell off its bestseller list despite its sales success. 
When Gosnell, the untold story of America's most prolific serial killer, launched last week, it was number three on Amazon's bestseller list and took the top slot on the retailers' retailers a hot new release list. Currently, Gosnell is number 15 on Amazon's hot new releases list, yet the New York Times won't include it on its bestseller list. Well, I want to congratulate the, uh, the two people that uh, co-wrote that Gosnell book. They're going to sell a lot more now because of this. I remember, and, and it's worthwhile. I mean, I wrote a column for Conservative Review last week. I mean, if you want to know what you can do to get back at fake news, go on Amazon right now, drop nineteen ninety nine, and buy that copy, buy yourself a copy of that book. It's a worthwhile read. But, um, you know, I saw what happened about uh, a year and a half ago when they did this with Ted Cruz's book, A Time for Truth, uh, and they left it off. And originally they claimed it's because, well, we saw evidence of mass bulk buying by two or, by, by just a few people that are affinity buyers, and that's why we left it off. And the cruise people pointed out that your your book scan numbers are not true, and the publisher. And it, the next week it was on the list because it made a whole bunch of more sales. I mean, we should have learned this now as, uh, on the right. I mean, whenever we, whenever we ban something from the left, guess what we help them do? Sell more of it. So um, all the New York Times is doing by not acknowledging the book is they're just going to sell even more copies of it. And the instincts that the New York Times is using here are directly related to the instincts that are being used uh, at, at Berkeley uh, to um, go after um, Mio or Milo, Milo or, whatever. or whatever. You know what? Yeah. You know Reprobate, what? whatever Just his name is. Right. Don't say anything. What, whatever percentage of campuses no, you know, you know how much cash money they made that cat? This week with their riots, do you know how many books he's going to sell well, because of their antics? He should send them a gratuity. There's two theys. There's the puppet master theys. That's who you're referring to. And then there's the mob theys. Most of them who are just they can be pushed to do whatever that the puppet masters wants to. They can't help themselves. Last story, Philadelphia's Commission on Human Relations is ordering owners and staff of 11 gay bars and clubs to undergo anti-discrimination training after a report that the city's famed gayberhood has been unwelcoming to minorities and trans women, cross-dressing men, for decades. <laughs> so we have two signs of the apocalypse. Apparently. I mean, you want, you want to talk about your man-bites-dog story, right? But... Um, I can't. I can't even add anything to that. That is, when the when so the rainbow jihad is now claiming the rainbow jihad is not rainbow jihad enough. Is that is that is that the is that the the moral of that story, Todd? They're 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 not the they're not they're not culturally Marxist enough. Yeah, they, they, we need more colors in the coat of uh, many colors, apparently. But you know what? They're right. When moral relativism and postmodernism is the root of your belief system, you have no basis to draw the line really anywhere. So you simul the more tolerant you get, the more bigoted you get at the exact same time, because the minute you try to draw the line, you're exactly what you said you opposed. You're listening to Steve Dace. Selling out isn't a virtue. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to some feedback. 
Don't forget, you can send yours in. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can also like us on Facebook. Find us there. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Glenn Dunbar wrote this note, gentlemen. Steve, you vehemently assured your listeners last year that if any of the names on then-candidate Trump's list of potential SCOTUS nominees he received from Heritage and the Federalist Society were actually followed through on and by President Trump, you would get their name tattooed on your person. Make sure you get the spelling of that right. N-E-I-L-G-O-R-S-U-C-H. Or do your promises count for nothing? Love the show. God bless. Now, I'm bringing this up publicly because um, I want to keep my word. I don't remember saying this, but it does sound like something I would have said. Okay? <laughs> so that's there's at least prima facie evidence this is true. Although what makes me skeptical is you would think I would have received more notes than just Glenn Dunbar's about this. Do you guys remember me saying, and I'm sure if I said it, I would have said confirmed. Because I remember one of the things I said during the election is I could see him putting up a Scalia kind of judge to say he did it. We get some pushback, and then he says, sorry, guys, I, I tried to, but can't waste our political capital on this. So here's Anthony Kennedy redux. I do remember saying that. I don't remember the tattoo part. I do remember you saying something about running through downtown Des Moines naked if Donald Trump won the nomination. No, that was if Paul Ryan won the Paul Iowa caucuses. Ro- oh, okay. Gotcha. Nice yeah. try. Yeah, I keep trying that one. I know. That's like the third different attempt people have made with that statement. But yes, that was in response to a Des Moines Register poll about a year before the Iowa caucuses that had, uh, or two years before the Iowa caucuses, when Ryan had not officially announced he wasn't going to run yet that listed him as the favorite and i said in 2014 that if paul ryan ends up winning the iowa caucuses two years from now i will run through downtown des moines naked i do remember that one vehemently okay this one though i don't remember saying this Todd, but it does sound like something i would say there must have been some sort of qualifier on a certain number of the judges or those who fit a certain mold uh, there you want to just throw you even you wouldn't throw yourself out there like that on that I'll entire tell you what, list. I'll tell you what, if someone on this, if someone listening to the show wants to email me and can second this, that this was said, I mean, nobody in our audience would lie, right? I don't believe so. I think everybody's fine, upstanding Americans. So if someone can second this and Neil Gorsuch gets confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court, I will get a Neil Gorsuch tattoo. I will do so. If, that's, if that is what I said I would do, I will do it. I will live up to it. I'm not I'm not one of those guys. I'll live up to it. Sure. I'll do it. Even if it, it was ju- you're going to go by the letter of the law even if the tone or the snark involved with uh, this is where that's, that's yeah what, what I don't know. Uh, this is remarkable. I don't have any tattoos. I'm not a tattoo guy, but I'll I'll do it if I, if exactly. I said I, if I said I would do something, I will you guys ever known me not to follow through on something? Okay. Aaron Aaron is doubting my statement. Trying really hard, but I I'm coming up empty. Uh, if 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 I did indeed say also, this. Also I like getting paid, but <laughs> <laughs> if I did indeed say this, I will follow through. If I did indeed say it. Where are you gonna get it? Huh? Where are you gonna get it? I don't know. Where do you think I should get it? Should I go Gorsuch? I retract my statement, I'm uncomfortable now. Should I go Gorsuch tramp stamp, do you think? Or <laughs> We should. I think Todd and I should actually uh, learn how to tattoo. You know. Have you talked to your wife about this? No. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. 
She's listening. If she's listening right now. Oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. So if anybody knows if Glenn is telling the truth, if I did indeed say this, it also sounds like if I said it exactly in the context Glenn says. Doesn't that sound like the sort of thing when I say it ends up a news story somewhere, right? Oh, ends up on the hill. It yet? Ends up in the hill or Politico in, in some blurb Steve somewhere. Days tattoo, uh, Trump, Scotus. Are you, you're googling it to see yep. if it exists out there? Does anything come up? Uh, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. The hayride. Uh, one second here. The hayride is uh-huh. like in a Louisiana conservative blog. Yeah. One wow. second. It, it, they have a story about this? This is tension building. Uh, which uh, da, 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 looks like we found this price is odd. Uh, yes, you said, quote, as if you had no idea this guy almost never keeps his word on anything. You go on to say, if any of those 11 names becomes a Supreme Court justice in the next four years, I'll get a tattoo of their name. Oh, my gosh. It and this was, so it's true. There's no, this was May 19th. There's no pretext to that? that oh, there's a huge quote. I'll tweet No. I was gonna say I'll tweet it out. We'll just let that uh, we'll let that stay on the hayride dot com. All right, man. Slash twenty sixteen slash. Well, yeah, he's not confirmed yet. <laughs> he's not confirmed yet. <laughs> You're going against him now. <laughs> You're listening to Steve Dace. Surrender isn't a strategy. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here with more of the Steve Dace Show. Again, going through some feedback Friday. Send your feedback into us, steve at stevedace.com. That's the email address, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Todd Abshear says, I'm always in awe of your show's ability to teach a biblical worldview, theology, and philosophy. I've learned more in the 14 months or so since I started listening about the Bible and the the theology of it than what I got my entire private Christian education from kindergarten to high school and church and Sunday school every Sunday. I listen, to, I listen to y'all, and I kick myself wondering if I squandered an opportunity I was graciously afforded or if I was just never taught it. I'm comfortable acknowledging it was likely a little bit of both. In your humble opinion, if I were to look at an online course in theology just for fun, what program would you recommend? Todd, I'm going to give you two. Um, one is on theology. One is on theology. And the other is on the application of theology. And I want you to watch one. If you're looking for a recommendation, watch one before you do the other. For strictly theology, I would recommend a, a, a DVD series called That the World May Know. And this has been done over several years by a uh, pastor named Ray Vanderlaan. And what he does is he takes uh, trips and tours of, of believers to Israel. And lots of people do that, but he actually takes you to the historic sites, not to the touristy sites. And he uses these sites to walk you through Genesis to Revelation, to walk you through the history of God's people as it was lived out, where they lived it out. And these these lessons are very powerful. I would recommend that. And then if you once you get through that, if you're looking for further application, right? So Paul says at Mars Hill, God has determined where everyone will live in for how long. 
So, so God has placed you here as a Christian in America in this time period. What kind of people then ought we to be, as Peter would ask? The Truth Project, the Truth Project is the best discipleship program for that question I've ever been through, and I've, I've been through a lot of them. It's the best and the most thorough. I would recommend that next. So that the world may know first, and then the Truth Project next. Matt is not as pleased with us. Says, you guys let David Horowitz off the hook last week. I was taking his last statement in point. He said in so many words, if not exactly, that Trump would never lie. Really? You mean like what he said about Ted's father wasn't a lie? I was just hoping for you to jump him on this statement, but you didn't. Even if you didn't want to take the example I provided, like Ted's, like saying Ted's dad killed JFK of his lying, as you might say, Trump didn't say it. It was in some, some publication. He just didn't deny it. There are still many other examples of Trump not telling the truth. Bottom line, I was completely unimpressed with this gentleman's opinion, as there were far too many holes in his reasoning, and clearly his perspective was the ends justifies the means. That is, a, that is from Matt. Um, I should have probably asked for clarification on that statement. Really? Trump's never lied. But let me tell you what David's answer would have been. Like, even if I would have brought up the Ted Cruz example, he did answer your question. You probably just didn't like his answer. Which is, he views these things as not lies, but exaggerations. That this is essentially a shtick. That's what David was claiming on our show last week. And I may have preempted what you might have said, because I jumped in and and answered it in a slightly different way. He was also talking about how uh, ideology, uh, I'm doing a rough paraphrase from my memory, but he ideology gets in the way with things. He's not an ideologue, and that's a good thing. And I said, well, being an, I, being an ideologue means you, you might be the wrong ideologue, but it gives you clarification, and so you're not just taking instant by instant. So you have a method for getting through the complexities about life. Otherwise, you drift into some of the uh, nonsense that David was saying about him. So you might have not have got the way, but we weren't fawning over what Horowitz was saying by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, uh, I, I and I said I am really. Com- I, I might have even brought up that statement about the the lie. I'm, I'm really uncomfortable, uh, to say the least, when people say that they find no fault with somebody, which I think Horowitz alluded to, and just glowing praise. Like I, I did just, ask him, is there anything Trump has mm-hmm. said or done that you disagree that's what, with? That's what I was referencing. And he said, no, yeah. I agree with it all. He, that's what he told me. Yeah, and and this idea that you that you're not an ideal or you can just separate um, your actions from an ideology that's just that's a farce and um, it's and uh, as you said as you alluded to Todd that's just um, that it is a system that just helps us um, uh, prioritize and and sort things out in our minds better so well but but I just want Matt I want you to understand one of the ways I interview is to ask questions well that seems simplistic but most people don't interview that way they interview to get a certain agenda conclusion that they want from the person that they're interviewing uh, I, I ask questions as long as the person is not I believe intentionally deceiving our audience I'll let them say whatever they want so people like you can make up your own minds there have been times on this show in its past where it was clear people were intentionally deceiving the audience and I let them have it but as long as even if I vehemently disagree or even if I think what you're saying is not true as long as your intention is not to deceive the audience, then that's up for you to decide what you think of his answers. The reality is that there's also a, there are millions of people, Matt, rightly or wrongly, that have his perspective on this. 
And they don't view Trump as being dishonest. They view it as exaggeration or what Rush used to say, absurdity to, for the, to, to illustrate the absurd. Exaggeration to make a greater point, a shtick, if you will. That is how they see it. Now, I don't always see it that way, and I've said so publicly, but um, I did ask him in a way what you wanted me to ask him. I asked him, is there anything at all Trump has said and done that you disagree with? And he answered that question. He said no. But, but that's, that's our style of interviewing on this show. Um, and, and it's because ultimately the goal of the interview is to feature the interviewee, not the interviewer. And and I think it's incumbent upon uh, those listening, and that includes Todd and I as well, to decide whether or not we agree with what's being said. Not not to just jump on whatever's being said when it's being said. I mean, that's that's part of critical thinking as well. And that's that's the reason we incorporate that into the show. I'll conduct an interview. I'll ask questions. Um, hopefully, the right ones. And then you guys, as impartial observers listening to the exchange, we leave time either at the end of the interview or in the following segment to react and respond to it. But it is to that end. But I do agree with Matt's criticism. I should have pushed back on he's really never lied, like claiming Ted Cruz's dad killed Kennedy. I just know what his answer would have been. Well, that's not a lie. That's an exaggeration. That's part of his shtick. That's how he would have answered. Listening to Steve Dace. You lose 100% of the battles you refuse to fight. This is Steve Dace. All right, back to wrap it up here for a Friday night. That means for the week as we head out to a weekend that includes America's number one secular holiday, the Super Bowl, coming up on Sunday. So, gentlemen, now's the time we find out what did we learn here this evening. Todd, I'll begin with you. What did you learn? I learned that uh, you're uncomfortable with shades of optimism that i showed tonight i promise next week i'll try to do better i'll sulk on it this weekend and uh get back to you in rare form this is just not what i'm accustomed to that's all you know i mean it's just um i mean i'm I'm not used to you seeing things in a positive light and i'm not used to having a man of action in the white house putting aside Everything of the past, just objectively looking at it, the, the only man of action in the White House has been the guy the last eight years who's been doing everything to ruin our country. And here you have a guy who's taking names right now. And I, I don't have, I still don't have a single regret about uh, never Trump. Because See, that's the thing. You're an enigma, Erzin. You said earlier tonight, I'm still, to me, I'm, I'm still as never Trump as I've ever been. And yet you turn right around and express this level of optimism. It throws me for a If loop. I said it that way, I, I misphrased it. I just think in terms of it, it's not like I look back, well, that was a mistake. No, there, that's not true. You, you, the grown-ups don't think that way, as you've talked about before. There was, it, it felt like a game of Russian roulette with five uh, bullets in the chamber. Now it feels like a game of Russian roulette with two or three bullets in the chamber. So you're saying there's a chance. So, yeah, you got about a 25% chance of survival you didn't have before. So hence the optimism, right? There you go. All right. Aaron, what'd you learn tonight? Uh, I need to get a cat. 
<laughs> I don't know. It depends. I'm going to start introducing you as America's restraining order. Will you be talking to the cat? Will you be dressing up the cat? I have questions. Um, it is. It, will it be the year of the cat? Indeed. <laughs> uh, oh, God. What, what are you saying, year of the cat? Yeah, the cat. I'm, I'm going to get a cat, name him Al Stewart. And uh, that's, I mean, Al and I are just going to listen to Al Stewart's uh, year of the cat. Any way you call me, you can call me Al. He's too young to remember that song. Yeah. But uh, you, you are, you know, this, is, this is a way of saying you need a life. You know, and you know, I'm I'm looking at this from the other end, Erzin, because what disturbs me is he is openly admitting on national media he has no life. I should be getting more bang for my buck then, right? Don't you think? I mean, if he literally has oh, nothing I else happening need in life, to get out of here to clean my um, garage and my navel. Um, yeah, see need, my point. If he's got, I have things to do. If he has literally no life, people then to see, things just ought to be humming around here. What? I, they're not. You're not going to concede that, are you? Even even, even even more so. Weather's been nice like, and uh, even more turn it up so. to eleven. Is like what you're, yeah, yeah, he yes. should be texting me. What else can I do, Mister Dace? There's exactly. Like no snow in the last two weeks or so. It's been nice. John three seventeen. You're listening to Steve Dace.